take us back The place we began The simple pursuit Of nothing but you The innocence of A heart in your head God take us back Oh God take us back To an unswerving faith In the power of your name A heart beating for your kingdom to reign A church that is known For your presence again God take us back Do you realize that this Sunday Barrett, Barrett really had to bring this to my attention I knew it was sort of around this time But this Sunday one year ago Was the last Sunday we gathered as a church before the pandemic hit. Now, I don't know about you, but it sure seems a lot longer than one year ago. But what I've experienced even this morning when I came in in tears was the church waking up, moving forward in anticipation of what God's going to do in the midst of of the opportunity we have ahead. I feel that. I see that. I want to represent that, that. That as we move toward Easter and we begin to anticipate the celebration of the culmination of God in Christ coming to redeem us of our sins, that that's not the end. That is the living, robust beginning for us. To move forward, and I've talked to you before how Paula and I wake up differently. She hits the ground running. I mean, if there's music, she's dancing. And she's got coffee going, and she's coming in, and I'm still on the edge of the bed just rubbing my eyes if I'm up at all. And she comes in, got coffee ready? Well, however we wake up, whatever style of wake up you have, the opportunity for us is there. And we continue to focus on that as we journey in First Samuel, as we're in this series of kingdom come and the reign of God in the hearts of his people is what we're looking at. And today I want to focus primarily on responding to God and listening to his voice. Chapter 3 is where we're going. I want to share with you the main point as we go into that reading. The main point of today is the experience of Samuel reminds us that God speaks. The experience of Samuel reminds us that God speaks. Let's read chapter 3 together. Now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. 
The word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. And at that time, Eli, whose eyes, eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord God called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord God called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling at other times, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything. And he hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with all of them, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of God. May we find blessing in that. 
Samuel was about 12 years old probably. We don't know for sure, but there's reason to believe he was around 12. And interestingly, as we saw in the text, he had had no personal experience with God. Yet, despite his youth and inexperience, God spoke to him. And his life is a story of a man listening to God. Now again, this experience of Samuel reminds us that God does indeed speak. So the question is, how does he speak to us today? How how can we listen to his voice? Now we uh, may not hear audibly, but we can hear from God clearly. The first thing we might recognize as we think of some ways that God can speak and does speak, he certainly manifests himself through creation, through the different circumstances of our lives. We, we can kind of run into God at any time with his Holy Spirit working in and around us. But we can be confident about three very specific ways he communicates to us. And one of those ways he communicates to us is directly through the Scriptures. He, he just, that's his primary way of communicating to us. And I want, to, I want us to just go for a moment to the Scriptures to see how he does that. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Your translation may say all Scripture is inspired by God. But the image is that it's breathed out, much like God breathed life into the first man and woman of Adam and Eve. He breathed out Scripture. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's his primary communication through his word directly to us. Also, in Psalm 19, we see an incredible picture of the value of the word of God. Even the psalmist says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We go on, and the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The psalmist in 119 just directly says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He speaks to us through his word directly. This is him. It's not just about him. It is him speaking to us. We do need to take note that in the text we discover God seldom with the season of Samuel's life had anyone to speak at that time. And 
Samuel, um, 1 Samuel 3, 1 and 7, we see that, that as he was ministering to the Lord, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And in the verse 7, it says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. What's the implication for us here? You see, the word of God was not heard because of the leaders and people who had removed themselves from the word of the Lord through their disobedience. They had literally in their disobedience turned their back to the Lord and shut their ears off from the Lord. They removed themselves. We can see that. We can see how living a life of corruption and disobedience would remove ourselves from being responsive and being able to be alert to what God would be saying to us. But lest we be careful to judge quickly, let's remind ourselves that we too can remove ourselves from hearing a word from the Lord if we're not in the Word. Of the literally removing ourselves from a direct communication of the Lord. If the God-breathed scripture is to be profitable for his teaching of us and for our reproof and correction and for training us in righteousness so we may be complete, equipped for every good work, then we must be in the scripture. This is, again, God's primary communication to us. And when we're not in the Bible, when we're not taking in the Bible through reading, study, memorizing, whatever means we can get in the Word, we simply aren't listening. We simply aren't listening. So it's God's primary way to communicate to us. And we must take it seriously. Now, God has also spoken to us definitively in Jesus, definitively in Jesus. We see that very clearly in John 1, 1 through 3. For it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that manifestation, that outward expression of God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then Watch this. He says in the 14th verse, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is the distinctive expression of God speaking through His Son, Jesus. In Hebrews We see it unpacked more when it says, and remember Samuel was one of these prophets. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Samuel spoke clearly for God. But in these last days, he has spoken to us, to us, by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Though Samuel never knew the side of heaven, the very physical person of Jesus Christ, The book of Samuel ultimately reveals God's plan to heal our sin in Jesus. Jesus is the culminating and definitive preeminent word for us to know from God. And to ultimately hear from God, to know his voice, we must know and receive his son. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, but I can't read about Jesus without this Definitive expression in Colossians that Paul makes of the centrality and the preeminence of Jesus Christ and how he has made himself known through Jesus. For Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. You see, it is through the person and redemptive work of Jesus Christ that God has spoken definitively. Now, the Gospel of John also affirms that the Holy Spirit is how God has spoken declaratively. Now, you might have thought I just put that word in so I could be like Barrett and have, you know, Three words that begin with the letter D. But you will see in John, that was supposed to be a joke. I'm, I'm, um, <laughs> one hour lost sleep, I guess. We see in John how he affirms the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit would continue to teach and bring to mind all that God has said through Jesus. And so in preparation for his physical departure after his resurrection, Jesus shared with his disciples these words in John 14. But the helper, and he says who the helper is here, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He goes on in John 16, and he talks about the function of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And there's that word. And he will declare to you The things are to come. You see where I got that? He declaratively speaks through the Holy Spirit. So I hope you've kind of gone with me a little bit because I needed to take some time to identify 
those three primary ways that we can hear and listen to God. For through the scriptures, as we spend time in them, we hear directly from him. And by living in faith, by, by faith in Christ Jesus, we experience definitively him in our Lord and Savior. And as we respond and listen to the Holy Spirit and watch him work in our lives, he's the one that breathed out the word of God. He's the one that brings to mind all that Christ is and all that Christ did. And he knows our heart. He knows where we are and what we're dealing with and what issues we are wanting to take to him. And the Holy Spirit, through our time in the word and in response to Jesus, speaks to us. So as we recognize that, I kind of want to put aside the heavy teaching perhaps. And just share, how can we respond to the voice of God and experience Him by doing so? What are some things that we can do? I, I was just impressed as I went through 1 Samuel, some images I want to lift out for you. There, there are three images I want to lift out, and I just want to share with them right off the bat. There's an image of a position that we need to have of priestly dependence on God. There is a posture set to humility or to humbly hear from God. Our posture, how we position and how we posture will project for us a fulfillment of the call of God. I want us to look at those images just for a moment. The first image is that position of priestly dependence on the Lord. This is the one that will take longer, but not too long. Samuel is described in chapter 2, verse 21, as growing in the presence of the Lord. Even though he had not personally experienced him, he was, it says he was growing in the presence of the Lord. I love that. And in, and in verse three verses, or chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, we see that he's ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Notice the focus. He's not ministering to Eli. He's not depending on Eli. He is ministering to the Lord. He's growing in the presence of the Lord. His dependence is on the Lord, not the person of Eli. And it, it's, it's a priestly function that he's doing there. And he's positioning himself to know him and to hear from him by functioning and ministering to the Lord in the temple. But he's also positioning himself to be dependent on the Lord. You can go back to the scripture again. Um, there. By, by the lamp of God not being out, he was lying down in the temple. That's the nighttime, probably early morning. He was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Do you see where he is literally positioning himself to be dependent on God? For by lying in, down in the temple where the ark of God was, where the ark contained the word of God, 
Samuel is literally sleeping at the spot where people expected God to speak. He had not heard from God, but he positioned himself to intentionally be ready to hear when God speaks. I'd like to suggest that's something like unto positioning ourselves in the upper room. A consultant by the name of Will Mancini talks a lot about the upper room and lower room when he comes to helping churches think about vision and think about where we need to focus our, our receiving God's vision. A lot of times we define church and associate church with the lower room where there's people that we associate with, there's personalities that we might follow, there's, there's programs that we might align with. There's even place, and that sure takes on a different meaning now as we think about the places of physical and the places of virtual. Those things we can kind of dwell on in the lower room and become involved in and and almost knocked down in and not see the vision of God for us because all we're seeing is what's going on in our lives in the lower room. We have to intentionally go up the staircase to spend some time in the upper room where the Lord is alone and and we're attentive. That doesn't mean the Lord isn't in the lower room in us and through us and working, but there is time that we need to just shove all that apart and focus dependently on what the Lord has to say and do. And so as we function in the lower room, God demands that we position ourselves before him in the upper room if we're going to function well. I like the the image that 1 Peter 2:9 speaks of. For he for Peter says we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we are priests one to another. We are priests. We have direct access through the Holy Spirit to our Lord. And as priests, as we spend time with the Lord, we can represent the Lord to others. And we can take others to the Lord. That's how we function in our priestly manner. And if we are functioning that way, then we will not become captured by what the lower room offers. I hope you see what I mean. But but by that I mean sometimes we can associate our significance, our, our dependence even, on those things in the lower room. People in our lives, leaders in our lives, activities that we've committed to, we can begin to feel our sense of significance around those things. We can become dependent on those things. And when those things go a little awry or when something happens and breaks down or we're disappointed, all of a sudden we're in a bad place or we are not in peace and we aren't able to extend grace in the midst of that. We aren't able to function as priests Because we've put our dependence on those things in the lower room. It is only as we put our dependence on the Lord in the upper room that we can 
extend grace and function as priests to one another as we live together. That's what Samuel did. He opened the doors of the temple. That was his job for people to come in that they might spend time with the Lord. Now Samuel's room was a mess. Lower room was a mess. Do you see that? His lower room was a mess. If you think about it, first of all, he was experiencing personal isolation. Did you see where his mom only came once a year? His mom had other children. There was family elsewhere. He was in the temple because his mom had released him and dedicated him to the work of the Lord. And that's not to say that Samuel was begrudging that, but he was isolated. He was separated from his family. And, of course, the corruption galore. I mean, think about it. He is a 12-year-old boy in the midst of these sons of Eli who are corrupt and doing abuse both physically and sexually all around him. He is living in that. Even his spiritual and, I guess, physical foster father in Eli was a no-show. Eli remained passive and even permissive to the corruption and abuse. And then, as we noted, it was silent from the Lord. He was living in a silence of God speaking. And yet, in all of that, Samuel still went to the upper room to intentionally position himself to solely depend on God in order to live and function in the silent and hard lower room. And if your lower room is a mess, then stay focused on the upper room. Position yourself in dependence on the Lord and encourage yourself in that Samuel did hear from the Lord. Now there's another part of this that I I just simply can't run by. And that is that the message from God to Samuel was a heavy one. That confirmed the earlier judgment of God against Eli and his sons. We saw that last week. And it's noteworthy that their sin was a sin committed by professional religious office holders and involved an arrogant and flagrant violation of sacred duties that brought great hurt to those of whom they were to be giving care. This was not just a moral slip. Something to see here, though, is that Samuel had the message of God of truth as now an anointed prophet, and he still got up early, and instead of running to Eli to tell him the message, which he later did even fearfully, he opened the doors of the temple. Though Samuel, through Samuel, God had put Eli in check with judgment of the corruption and abuse, Samuel, through his priestly actions, offered sanctuary and support to the sufferers. When the church, this is what I want to share with you, when the church encounters corruption and abuse, both inside and out. We must position ourselves in the utter dependence upon the Lord. We got to rush to the upper room 
so we can fully know and represent both grace and truth in the lower room. We've been a part of a, I've been able to journey with a team that the church commissioned called the Caring Well Ministry. And, and, and our task is to seek to be this kind of church that knows how to put a check to that which would bring abuse and hurt and to help respond and also to know how to receive and serve those who suffer. You see, we, we must take decisive action as a church to prevent, protect, and also minister to those who suffer. That is the gospel. That is the gospel for us. So how we respond to God so we can listen to his voice, we intentionally position ourselves with priestly dependence upon the Lord. We go to the upper room. Now quickly, two other images. The second image I just I want to share with you is a posture set to humbly hear from the Lord. One of the marks of a faithful servant is an attentive ear and an immediate response. That's one of the marks of a faithful servant, an attentive ear and immediate response. And just as we've been reminded, Samuel had never heard God's voice, so the Lord speaks to Samuel four times before he answers. I love this part of the story. As a parent, you really can't appreciate what's going on here. <laughs> this is where Samuel wakes up thinking he's heard from Eli and rushes into his room and says, what do you want? And it's like that child coming in, Daddy, I want to come in. I want to sleep with you tonight. And you go, no, 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 go back to bed. That's kind of Eli's posture. No, no, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. Samuel hears from the Lord three times and rushes to Eli to find out what Eli was saying. And then Eli fortunately has enough discernment to tell Samuel, the next time you hear your name called, Tell the Lord, here you are. Your servant is listening. This time, the fourth time, with Samuel ready and poised, he is postured to hear. He, he, he's lying awake, I'm sure, ready and waiting to hear from God. Did you notice the difference this fourth time when God spoke? When we have a posture to, 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 to anticipate and listen for God, did you notice and do you notice what happened? God called his name out twice, not just once. He said, Samuel, Samuel. It was a, more of an endearing kind of feel to me as I look at it because not only did he call his name out twice, it says the Lord came and stood before it was just a voice now it's the presence of God in his midst God wasn't just calling Samuel he was standing in the room up close and personal and even as we pledge ourselves and our desire to follow him and we do take time in his word we might even still be putting up a barrier to hear God's voice if we have an unwillingness to posture ourselves to be open to his voice and what he has to say. We can read the words but not have the heart. 
for receiving what God is saying to us. And certainly that can come in a lot of different ways. It can come from unchecked selfishness. It can come from the fear of change. Or it can just be simply rebellion. But as we have seen in the book of Samuel, when we have that kind of unwillingness, even when we're in the Word and we have that kind of unwillingness, we find disaster in our lives. We need to attune our ears in order that we might hear Him. We must indeed have a posture to set, set to humbly hear from Him. J.D. Greer of Summit Church reminds us with this saying, God reveals Himself to us, opens Himself to us when we put our yes on the table with God without reservation or hesitation. When we when God reveals himself and opens himself up to us, he will do that when we just put our yes on the table, no holds barred, and we do it without reservation. I love that picture. When we put our yes on the table, our Lord comes in and he stands in the room with us. He's not just talking to us. He's with us. He's present wherever you are and whatever you're in. This leads us to the last image, and it's an image of projection. As we position ourselves to be dependent on God, as we posture ourselves to humbly hear from God, there is a projection that we can anticipate in fulfilling the call of God. You see, with Samuel... This time, we're told Samuel grew, but there's an affirmation added. It says the Lord was with him. He went from being before the Lord, not hearing from the Lord, to now he grew in the Lord, and the Lord was with him. That's when we receive God speaking to us and experiencing God. This last uh, verse in chapter 3 where he says Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground is a summary of Samuel's progress Samuel's word became the word of the Lord for all of Israel and do you see that picture his pronouncements were always right everything he said never fell to the ground the Lord upheld his word that is our promise as well from the Lord. As we hear from the Lord, as we, as we move to responding to what God wants to do in us, and as the praise team comes and begins to lead us in worship in response to the Lord, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to see how so very important it is that we spend time in the Word, that we read the Word because God's communicating directly to us. And that we embrace and know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And live by faith in Him. And we know that the Holy Spirit moves and bears witness. We hear from the Lord. There's no question we can hear from the Lord. But where are you in listening for the Lord? Where are you in positioning yourself to be dependent on the Lord? 
Where are you struggling in that? I know where I'm struggling in that. I know where I need to go. I invite you to do the same thing. What about that posture? Is there something that's sort of preventing you from putting your yes on the table without reservation? That's how we can listen from God. There's a great verse in Ephesians 3.20, and I'll just read it for you. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That can be your projection. Personally, that can be your experience and projection. I want to invite you to that. We will have prayer counselors down here at the front responding to you if you'd like someone to pray with you. But if that's where you are and you need to give God some attention, then come on down. But that's where we are as a church. Maybe you want to come down as we're waking up as a church and just ask the prayer counselor to join you in praying for our church. That would be great. Or turn to someone and say, let's, let's pray a moment for our church that we'll be that kind of church dependent on the Lord and postured to put our yes on the table. Whatever it takes, we'll put our yes on the table as a church. That is the opportunity. Come to him. Come to him.